Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Amen. Praise God. Let's look at what the word says tonight in Luke chapter 6. I am going to read quite a few verses tonight, and I'm just going to do some Bible study in front of you. Um, Wednesday night is designed here strategically to be Bible study night. And one of the things that I like to do often is to just walk through a few verses of Scripture as if I was sitting down at my desk reading it, allowing the Lord to speak to me and pull things out. Because I want you to learn how to read the Bible and pull truth out of it. There, there is uh, two different ways you can read the Bible, a lot more, but two specifically in this context. You can exegete it or you can eisegete it. To exegete it means to take out of the text what is there and what it is saying. To eisegete it is to read into it what you want it to say. And preachers typically do the wrong half of that because anybody can take half a Bible verse and prove whatever kind of crazy point they want to prove. You can read your own idea into it, but tonight we want to make sure that we properly handle the Word of God. Listen, I'm going to read the text, and we'll pray, and then we'll go into it. In Luke 6, 26, the Bible says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit. Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. I want to talk to you tonight in this Bible study lesson titled, A Portrait of a True Disciple. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for each person who's come out tonight. Lord, I thank you for the good testimonies that we've heard already, Lord. I pray for our babies, our children, and our youth as they're in their rooms tonight, God. I pray that you would pour your love out on them. Teach them, encourage them, God. Bless the workers tonight. Anoint them to minister on your behalf, God. As we look at your word tonight, I pray that you'd use me, Lord, to say to us what you would have us to hear. Teach us now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a portrait of a true disciple. This passage that I just read sounds very familiar because it is possibly a direct uh, quote of a passage that's been titled The Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached is recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called The Sermon on the Mount. Scholars differ on their opinion of whether this is just Luke's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount Many of them 
specifically the ones that I believe know what they're talking about, think that this is not a direct quote from the Sermon on the Mount, but this was a subsequent teaching that Jesus taught uh, when Luke was there to listen to it. But either way, Jesus did the same thing to his disciples that I do here in church and that we all have done to our kids and our parents did to us. The right information gets said a lot of times. You probably, if mama's gone, if daddy's gone, if grandmama is gone, you probably, if you love them and you were around them a lot, can hear their voice in your head. You can hear what they would say to you. I've had people ask me, well, have you talked to your mom about that? Because people know I like to, even at 52 years old, run uh, big decisions by my mom because the Bible says that I've got to honor my mom all the days of my life. We've got to quit telling these kids as long as you, until you turn 18, as long as you live in my house, you'll do what I say. That's not Bible. That, that's what people teach. The Bible says that as long as you're alive, that you are your parent's child. And so I like to run stuff by my mom. And so sometimes people say, well, have you talked to your mom about that? And I can truthfully answer, I don't even have to talk to her about that. I know exactly what she, I could hear exactly what she would say in my head. That's the way we want to be with the Lord. We want to have read the word so much. We want to have heard so much about the word that we can hear what God would be telling us in given situations so that we can make good choices in our life. Just going to go through these verses as time allows, uh, starting in verse 26. Going to pull out some things because we need to learn how to not only pull out stuff as we study the Bible, but we need to learn how to hold on to stuff that connects with us. Everything that you read is not going to jump out and grab you in your chest. It should, and it could, but it probably won't. But there are parts of the Bible. There are verses in the Bible. There are phrases in the Bible that as you go through your life that you are going to go back to, that you are going to cling to, that are going to be meaningful to you, and I want you to find those places. I want you to learn how to find those places. So let's see what Jesus was saying in verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, comma. We're going to pause on the punctuation. It's the best way to digest what you're reading. Take it slow, phrase by phrase. Stop on the punctuation. Pause. Try to figure out what's being said. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Now, here Jesus is teaching a large group of people, and there's people uh, that are all claiming to follow him, and he says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Now, when he says woe to you, does, does that sound like it's a good thing or a bad thing? We don't use, really use the word woe, but it's a bad thing. This is not good. He's saying look out. Other, other translations say watch out or look out when everyone is saying good things about you. Well, I've, I've jokingly said it, but honestly said it. There's a lot of verses in the Scripture that I need to aspire to do better in, but I've never had a shortcoming in Luke 6, 26. I've, I've never had to woe over everybody speaking well of me because if you tell the truth enough, somebody's going to be mad at you. But Jesus is saying, because uh, he's just coming off um, saying some things that we refer to as the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who do this. Blessed are those who do that. He's saying, here's a way that you can find real happiness. He's saying, but okay, now all those blessings for doing stuff. Here's some woes. Here's some trouble. Here's some things to watch out for. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. It is the desire of most normal, well-adjusted human beings to want to be loved, to want to be accepted, 
to not want to have people upset with them. But the job of a pastor who is committed to telling the truth of God's word does not often allow that. Because the Bible says that if you rebuke foolish people, they will hate you. The Bible says that if you correct immature people, they will hate you. Think about children. If you tell a child it's time to turn that video game off and go take a bath, they're not excited for you. You're not their best friend at that time. People want what they want. They don't want to be instructed. They don't want to be corrected. And so the job of a real Christian is going to lend itself to not always being everybody's favorite person. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go around just gathering enemies. That doesn't mean you have to go around um, always being the party pooper. Because I'll tell you this, Jesus was the most dynamic human being that ever lived. People loved Jesus. People came from all backgrounds came to follow and to listen to Jesus because he was engaging, he was kind, he was loving. But he also knew if you tell the truth, People are going to be upset with you. So one of the things you want to know who to look out for, you want to know who to put a check in your spirit for, now this is specifically talking about people who speak about God. You need to watch out for those cats that everybody just loves. I can name a few of them off, off TV, off radio preaching. Listen, if all you ever do is smile and tell everybody how great they are, you probably are not training them well. If all you ever do is sing the people's praises in front of you, you're not helping them. I've told the men a lot and said it in here. I love the coaches that I had the most that would scream, holler, snatch me up, and let me know what I was doing wrong. Anybody can sing your praises and tell you how awesome you are, but if somebody really loves you, they'll care enough to tell you what we call hard truth. And real Christians are willing to tell the hard truth. He said, woe to you when all men speak well of you for their fathers. Now, remember, when you read the word for, many times in literature you could try it with a different word, what? Because. Because. Woe to you when all men speak well of you because their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So he's talking about a generation before him. He's saying if everybody around here is talking good about you all the time, you're probably not doing something right. Because their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. He's talking about prophets that came before him, the people who are alive now, their parents, their ancestors treated the false prophets the same way. How did they treat the false prophets? Everybody loved them. Everybody talked good about them. Why? Because the false prophets were telling them smooth things to get their money. And listen, the more things change, the more they what? Stay the same. So what was then is still happening now. False prophets are still lying to people, smiling on TV, and getting people's money. And everybody loves them. Why? Because they're not always telling the truth. So the hallmark of how to know somebody is a false prophet is if everybody's always happy with them. Because if you're correcting people, nobody, nobody's going to have that reputation. And the job of the man of God is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Two of those three things will cause people to be upset with you. Reproving and rebuking people is telling them how they're wrong and why they're wrong. Exhorting them is encouraging them to do better. Well, a false prophet doesn't get into the reprove and the rebuke. I heard a pastor, actually the largest church in America, pastor of a church in Houston, Texas, 
when asked by Larry King about sin and preaching on sin and preaching on hell, he said that, well, I don't really get into that because people are sad enough and they need to be encouraged when they come to church. And people do need to be encouraged when they come to church. And I love motivational teaching. I've got tapes and tapes of motivational speakers. But when I come to sit down in church, I'd rather hear the truth, even if it's a hard truth, than somebody just encourage me in a motivational aspect. And what's passing for preaching in some churches today is nothing more than motivational speaking. And we got to watch out for that because that's the way the Bible says the false prophets do it. And that's not to say everybody's popular as a false prophet and everybody that's hated is a real prophet, but it's something to look out for. Verse 27, Jesus went on to say, but to you who are willing to listen, comma, but is a transition word. We grew up watching that show, whatever it was, Electric Company, Sesame Street. Uh, what was it? Yeah, but what was the show? It wasn't either one of those. It was a different show. Was it Electric Company? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? There, there, there's a switch going on. Say switch. There's a change happening. He's been saying this, but now he's saying that. He said, oh, all this other stuff, he says, but to you who are willing to listen. Now we talk a lot about inference because you gotta, you got to understand the things that are being inferred because a lot of things aren't said in black and white, but the message is very clear. He says, but to you who are willing to listen. If he's saying that he wants to talk to those who are willing to listen, he's inferring that there are those who what? Don't want to hear it. There are people that don't want to hear it. There are people that are not willing to listen to the truth. So he's saying, to you who are willing to listen to the truth, I say, comma. Now, that's two words bracketed by commas. That's one of the smallest things you'll ever see bracketed inside commas, but it's huge because Jesus is saying you got all these other teachers, good ones, bad ones. you got true and you got false prophets. You got good types of teaching and you got bad types of teaching. You have people that have told you this and people who have told you that. But in the middle of this verse, he says, I say. This is something we ought to really take note of because it's way more important what Jesus says than what we think. It's way more important than what Jesus says than what Pastor Scott says. It's way more important when Jesus says something than when anybody else says it because we claim the name of Christian, which means to be a follower of Christ, to take his teachings and live the way he lived. And he said, this is what I'm talking about. And Jesus did a lot of this in his earthly ministry because there was so much confusion about theology then and there still is today. But he was changing an entire theological realm because he came teaching a new way, and actually a better way of a way that had already been shown to people in the Old Testament about how to come to his father. He said, if you're really willing to listen, he knows people aren't. I see that every time we come to church. I, I love people who make preaching easy. There's just some people you can tell that they're listening. When they come, they want to hear. That, that makes preaching easy. There are other people that make preaching hard, scowling at me. Now, I'm 52 years old and been doing this for a long time. You can scowl all you want to at me now. That used to hurt my feelings. I don't so much anymore. But he says, if, if you're really here and you want to listen, let me tell you what, what, what I think, what I have to say to you. Love your enemies, exclamation point. Pay attention to the punctuation. This is going to help you. He said, Love your enemies. 
This is something that he is proclaiming in a very dramatic way, in a very demonstrative way. Why? Because he knows this has not been taught. This has not been popularized. This is not an option to him. This is very important to him. So he's exclaiming this emphatically to love your enemies. Why? Because everybody he's talking to there are either people who are well taught in the Jewish religion, in the Old Testament ways, or people who are untaught in Jehovah's ways at all and are polytheistic people who just worship all different types of gods and set up all different types of idols. Well, the people who were taught in the Old Testament teaching didn't always understand what Jesus was saying because they had scriptures they could hold on to, and they had scriptures that said if somebody hits you in your face and knocked your tooth out, you got to hit them back and knock their tooth out. If somebody killed your goat, on accident, you got to kill their goat on purpose. If somebody knocked your wagon over, you got to go knock their wagon over. And that was the teaching that was very popular then that some people still want to quote and ascribe to now. And we call it an eye for an eye or a tooth for a what? Just making sure you're awake. And that's, that, that's Old Testament teaching. That's the law. And Jesus came to show a greater fulfillment of the law. And here's the deal. You can be an Old Testament practicing New Testament Christian. You can still live by the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament that tells you not to eat any meat. Or you can cling to what God said in the New Testament that as long as you give thanks for it, he will sanctify anything that you eat. Now, anything you do in keeping with Old Testament law, as long as your heart is soft, sensitive, kind, and loving toward God, God's still going to bless you for it. Now, if you want to go and be an eye for an eye person, If you want to go, because Jesus isn't saying that this is wrong. He's saying that there's a higher calling. There's a better way. There's a more excellent way. But if you want to be an eye for an eye person, you can have that. If you want to be a tooth for a tooth person, you can have that. We'll see if we get to the last verse I read. Uh, The way you treat other people and the way you judge other people is going to come back to you. So if you want to, every time somebody does you wrong, if you want to make a big deal about it, go ahead. But guess what? All that's going to come back on you, and hopefully we'll see that that's not the best way to live. He said, love your enemies. Now, whether they had the eye for an eye mentality or not, whether they weren't even trained in Old Testament teaching, Jesus knows what everybody in this room knows. It's not easy to love your enemies. That's why they're your enemies, because they don't love you. And it's hard to love somebody that doesn't love you. And not only do they not love you, an enemy signifies that they are actively opposing you. They're doing dirt on you. They're making your life hard. That's not the type of person that's just easy, oh, I love seeing you come up. There you are again. It's so No, it's by the very nature of the word enemy, it is unusual to be commanded or to be expected to love them. But I want you to know tonight, God expects a lot of unusual stuff out of his followers. A lot of this stuff in the Bible is anti what we've been taught. It's counterculture. It's not what comes first. That's why I believe in a teaching called moving in the opposite spirit. Because if somebody hits you, your parents probably trained you. Now, don't start a fight, but if they hit you, you don't let that happen. You finish that. We're taught from the time we're very little or we're expected to do certain types of behavior. Well, Christianity is a counterculture. And many times, if you move in the opposite spirit, you'll be doing what God wants you to do versus what comes easiest to do. That's why almost always, if you're in a panic, if you're, the, your first reaction, 
unless you're really deep in the Lord, your first reaction is probably going to lead you in the wrong way. And that's why you need to learn how to move in this opposite spirit. It's definitely an opposite spirit to love your enemies. And he goes on to say more. He says, do good to those who hate you. Now, if this is a brand new preacher that they were listening to, a guy that they didn't have deep relationship with, uh, uh, just a new guy on the street preaching to them, they got to be scratching their head right now saying, look, this is this, this not even doable. Loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you. I want you to know, if you can really do good to people who hate you, I know one or two things is true about you. If you can really love your enemies, I know one or two things is true about you. Number one, possibly you're just weird as all day long and there's no explaining you. And there's that. But number two, possibly you love God so much that you're willing to overstep what comes easy and do what comes hard. This is not what comes easy. This is what comes hard. And God has commanded us to do many hard things. And that's why he set this whole teaching up by saying, look, all you dudes out there that are preaching that everybody loves and is happy with all the time, you're just a false prophet anyhow. Because I came to tell people to love enemies and do good to people who are actively hating you. This does not come natural, and it's not easy. But when we do things that are over the top this way, People recognize it, and it stands out, and it gives us an opportunity to tell them what I tell y'all every July when I talk about when I got saved uh, from a sermon titled, I Haven't Always Been Like This. You need to have a I haven't always been like this mindset. You need to have when somebody cusses you out at work, when somebody mistreats you at work, when, when somebody bumps into you and it looks at you like, what, why'd you bump into me? You need to, if you want to say it, say it, but at least think it. Well, you'd be glad I'm saved because I ain't always been this way because that could have went a whole different way. If I didn't love Jesus right now, that could have went a whole different way. But I'm moving in opposite spirit right now because, because I'm trying to please the Lord. And this is what God expects out of us. He wants us to love our enemies. Why? Because it takes leaning on him to do it. It takes leaning on him to really do this. This is not something that you're easily going to be able to do on your own. And he wants us to lean on him. He goes on and says, do good to those who hate you. That takes leaning on him to do it. And that's one of his biggest teaching points. Trust me. Lean on me. Get power from me. Quit trying to do everything on your own. Follow me and let me help you along the way. If we really want to love our enemies and do good to those who are actively hating us, then we need to learn to lean on the Lord and let him give us strength to do what he's called us to do. Verse 28, he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. He's just taking this thing further and further along. He said, being nice to people who hate you, there's ideology there. Hate, you know, how are they hating me? Well, if they're cussing me out, now you're getting more specific. When somebody's cussing you out, I don't think the natural inclination for most persons. Somebody gets out at a red light, goes to your car, starts banging on the hood of your car, pounding on your window, screaming cuss words at you. I don't know that your first response is to tell them how much Jesus loves them and, and to thank God for them. But this is what he's saying we need to do. Not just bless them by saying nice things to them, but check this out. Pray for those who hurt you. He's leading us down a path from the beginning to the middle, to the end. He's showing us more and more higher way, more and more excellent way. He tells us to love our enemies, to do good 
to those who hate us. Well, he doesn't say exactly how to do good. He doesn't say exactly how there are enemies. Then he starts getting specific in verse 28 by talking about people who cuss you out. You should bless them. He doesn't say exactly how to bless them. That means to say good things about them. But then he comes down in this last sentence in verse 28, and he gives some very specific advice that we need to take heed and pay attention to. Pray for those who hurt you. Okay, now, he's encompassing all those people that he's been talking about. Your enemies, the, the, the people who, who cuss you out, all these people have hurt you in some type of way. That's how they became your enemy. That's how they became people that, that put you in a need to have to depend on God to be able to tolerate them and get along with them. He's telling you how to do it. He's telling us all how to do it. How can we bless those who are cussing us out? How can we do good to those who hate us? How can we really love our enemies? The answer is found in this last phrase, pray for those who hurt you. I have found this to be true, not just theologically. I already believe that every word in the Bible is true. I know that, and I'm sure of that. But I haven't experienced it all to be true in me. I have experienced this part to be true in me. You will not be able to maintain active hate for somebody that you are truly praying for. You will not be able to, to, to maintain negativity to somebody that you are truly praying for because God will begin to soften your heart. God will begin to work on you and let you know you used to be that way too. You, you're wrong too in lots of ways, and God will begin to soften your heart. Here's how you can be the man to woman God wants you to be. Here's how you can fulfill the teaching, this very difficult teaching, this very new and unusual teaching, this very abnormal to human theory teaching is by praying for those who hurt you. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. Start praying for everybody who ever hurt you. You're bitter against somebody, start praying for them. You're negative against somebody, start praying for them. You're holding resentment and unforgiveness towards somebody because they hurt you, and I, and I get that. They were wrong, and they shouldn't have done it. And I hear people want to emphasize it to me all the time in counseling situations, but, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. Mm, I don't, but I do know that they hurt you, and I do know what God says to do for people who hurt you, and we need to pray for people. I'll be honest with you. That's not my first response. I didn't come up that way. I was raised on the west side of Jacksonville, um, and that's just not how we handle stuff. Uh, if, you know, we would just you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You know, you take one of mine, I'm going to take ten of yours. Uh, it's just how it is. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. It's just that that's how we, we came up on this side of town. So this teaching is very new to the way I was raised. And so I thank God that he gives specific instruction on how to get it done. How in the world can a guy like me ever really love people who are hating me? How in the world can a guy like me, raised the way I was raised, ever really bless those who are cussing me out? How? By praying for everybody that has hurt you. I tell you, it'll change your life if you would just do that one thing. And this is what we need to do. We need to start finding little pieces of the Bible that we can live out, that we can do, so we can be blessed in that area. What can we do? We can pray for those who hurt us. That's just a willingness factor. That doesn't mean you're not going to be hurt. You, somebody hurt you a long time ago or even hurt you today, you pray for them today, that doesn't mean all your hurt's going away. But it does mean you're following God. It does mean you're obeying God, and God promises blessing for those who obey him. And I want to find more and more ways 
to where I can put my feet right in the middle of God's Word. I want to find more and more ways where you can put your feet in God's Word and actually walk out the Scripture. It's good to know it. It's awesome to talk about it. But when you're living it out, that's when God is going to bless you because He promised that we're blessed in our deed, not in just our thoughts. Verse 29, He says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also, period. (laughs) That's a mouthful. I used to think all the time, that that would not be possible. I used to think, okay, this is ideology here. It's not going to go down like that. Somebody hit somebody on the face. It's on like Donkey Kong. Uh, even be like, oh, you want to hit me on the other side of my face? Um, I've actually lived through that. It's an extreme situation, and, and fortunately the guy was like, you know, 60 or 65 years old when I was in my 20s. Um, and he was just losing his mind, and he'd just come off a of heart surgery. And he came into my yard complaining about something. We started talking. He hit me in my face. Didn't, didn't even, I mean, he, he snuck me. I was looking down the property line because he was arguing about our property line. I looked down. As I looked back up, bam, hand grazed on my chin. Uh, didn't, didn't even wobble me. Um, and I looked at him. I said, are you crazy? He's out there shirtless, got a scar from here to here, just been cut open. I said, if I hit you in your chest one time right now, you just split wide open, bleed out on my property. I'm going to have to call your family over here, come drag you off. And so I said, if it make you feel better, since we both claim to be Christians, you want to hit me again? See if you can knock me down. So you can do it. That's not really the way the Lord wants to see it done, but it can happen. This is more to do with the thought than the action. This is more to do with the thought than the action. And this is really where the the French people derive slapping you in the face with a glove. This is not really talking about a throwdown fight. This isn't talking about somebody cocks back a right hand and busts you in the mouth. This is talking about an insult where they would pshht, pshht, with the glove across the face. Um, He's saying when somebody insults you to the highest level, don't respond to it. Realize if they're willing to hit you on one side of your face with that glove, they're probably going to come back and hit you on the other side of the face. Don't get too freaked out. Listen, don't be shocked when the world mistreats you. Jesus said, marvel not when the world hates you. They hated me first. Don't be shocked when you have to pay some type of price for your faith because Jesus had to pay for his faith. He went on to say, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. In another gospel, uh, they Jesus said, if someone asks you to walk one mile with them, walk two. And that's where we get the teaching or the theory, go the extra mile. And this is a very Christian teaching. And this is a, this is a thought concept that I want us to have. I want us to be go the extra mile people. I want us to be the type of person that not only lets somebody get over on us, but we're willing to do anything we can do to show that our love for God is real. You need to be and go the extra mile person. If a little bit of praying is good, do a little bit more praying. If a little bit of reading your Bible is good, do a little bit more reading your Bible. If treating the people you care about is good, do a little bit more of that. Be a go the extra mile person. If they're, if, if they're taking advantage of you, hey, just let it play out how it's going to play out. Why? Because stuff is just stuff. Insults are just insults. I used to hear old people say, they can they, they can only do so much to me, they can't take my birthday from me. And I used to think, they can't take your birthday? What are you talking about? Why would anybody want your birthday? 
And they weren't really saying, you know, they're going to steal the, my date of birth. What they were saying is this is not a huge thing. It's not life-changing in, it, in its purpose. And we need to learn how to let some stuff roll off us. We need to learn how to let some stuff go. Because there's too many people holding on to too much stuff. And if you can't let stuff go, if, if you cling to stuff, if you're vengeful, if you're revenge-oriented, if you're a grudge-holding person, you need to learn how to pray more. Because as you pray for these people, God's going to learn, teach you how to let stuff go. Verse 30, he said, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Now, I had a real problem with that when I was young in Christ because I, I was doing ministry in the street with homeless people. And let me tell you what, you can't walk past real homeless people without getting asked. You can't walk past professional homeless people without getting asked. And I thought, well, they asked. I got to give it to them. Uh, Seth, being raised in church, living in my house his whole life, my youngest son, um, he understands this teaching. And one time we were coming out of Red Lobster on Blanding, and a guy walks up to me. I knew what was happening. I saw him coming across from the parking lot, making a beeline to me. I knew what was about to happen. Hey, boss man. Well, okay, now there's the butter up, so here comes. Here comes. He, I, I said, how you doing? He said, man, I'm struggling. Can, can you help me out? Can I get 37 cents? It's a great scam, right? Because that makes it sound like he needs, you know, just a certain amount to piece together what he's trying to piece together. And I told him, no, no man, not today. And we, I, we get in the car. We drive off. And Seth tells me from the back, he said, Dad, I'm ashamed of you. I said, well, hey, you better watch your tone. You'd be walking home. You'd be ashamed living in the street. You'd be joining Bubba over there begging for 37 cents. I said, why are you ashamed of me? He said, because you're supposed, you're supposed to give to people who ask you to help them, and I know you've got 37 cents. I said, son, actually, I don't have 37 cents on me. I got a couple hundred dollars in my front left pocket, but I don't have 37 cents on me. Um, he said, well, why didn't you help that man? I said, because I didn't feel led of the Lord to help that man. And he, you know, young, doesn't understand discernment. And I, I, I really used to think this. And I used to give to every, if people ask me for something, I would grudgingly think, well, I got to obey the Bible. Listen, that's a legalistic mentality that God won't bless anyhow. If you're doing the right thing with the wrong motive, God's not going to bless you for it. You got to do the right thing with the right motive. And I came to find out that the same Jesus who said, give to anybody who asked you, said, don't cast your pearl before the swine. Don't take precious things and give it to people who just want to trample you and just want to use you. So you got to take the big picture. But we should be giving. Say give. We should be giving as Christians. Everything about Christianity is about giving. God gave his son to us. Jesus gave his life for us. The Holy Spirit gives strength to us. The Bible gives wisdom to us. Everything about Christianity has giving and love, which promotes giving at its root. He says, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. This is now going from specifics to a broader way of thinking. All right, he's already said, don't hate people. Don't hold grudges. Just pray for people. Listen, so now he's going back to trying to get us to understand we should not be nitpicking, holding on to every wrong that's ever happened to us. I've had people say, well, I'm not just going to lay down and let somebody take advantage of me. I'm just not going to be nobody's doormat. And I just told, tell them and I'll tell you, if that's your mindset, Christianity is the wrong religion for you. If you're not willing to be used and abused, if you're not willing to be mistreated and still love people after they do that to you, then you pick the wrong teacher. 
because Jesus was used and abused and mistreated and still loved people anyhow. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we've got to understand it's not about self-protection. We are survivalists by nature. Human beings are survivalists at our root. We self-protect at the highest cost. But as we become Christians and follow the teachings of God, we understand that it's not about protecting us. It's about loving people and making an impact on people. He went on in verse 31 to say what we call the golden rule. Do to others as you would like them do to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, one version says. It's called the golden rule. Now, when I was doing street ministry, street people got a different view on this. Uh, the, the golden rule to many people in the street is he who has the gold makes the rule. And I can get that too because a lot of times that's how it seems that life is. People with the money are the ones making all the rules. But Jesus said to do to others as you would like them to do to you. We try to teach our kids this. Be nice to people. They'll be nice to you. Treat other people the way you want to get treated. This is at the heart of Jesus' teaching. This is repeated over and over in the New Testament. Why is it so hard to do? Why is it so hard to treat other people the way we want to be treated? Well, because we're survivalists by nature. We're self-protectors by nature. And when people do wrong to us, then we, just, then we think we've been let off the hook from doing what God has called us to do. Well, I was trying to treat them nice, but they, no. We don't get off the hook based on how someone else lives. They're not the ones standing up claiming to be Christ followers. And even if they are, that's between them and the Lord. If you want to be who God's called you to be, then we all have to learn how to treat other people the way we want to get treated. Sounds like an easy concept. Start living it, and you'll find out you need God's help to do these things. And that's the punchline to do all this stuff you got to have God's help. Verse 32, he said, if you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Question mark. So we pause on that. If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Now, you can stop on the comma and wonder, if you only love those who love you, okay, well, then there's an option there. There's some people that love you and some people that don't love you. And if you only love the ones who love you, why should you get credit for that? Do you think he's saying you will get credit for that or you won't? You won't, okay? But look beyond that, and he says, why should you get credit for that? Is he saying that by loving someone that there's a potential for you to get credit? Yes, he is. He says that if you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? The premise here is that you can be credited by God for doing something. And these are the parts of Scripture that I look for because I want God to bless me. I want God to give me favor. I want God to reward me. And there's things that we can do in the Bible. He says, if you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Well, you're not going to get credit for loving those who only love you because why? Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus said his teaching are for those who are willing to listen to it. His teaching are for those who recognize his will as more important than their will. In verse 33, he says, if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? He's saying the same thing here in a different way, but he continues on this theme of there is a way to get credit in heaven. There is a way to get credit from the Father, but it's not by just loving people who love you, and it's not just by doing good to people who do. That's easy, and it doesn't take God's help to love people who love you. 
That's simple. It doesn't take God's help to do good to people who are doing good to you. That's human nature. The, the, the core of what Jesus is trying to teach is his way requires his help. His way requires his help. If all of your life is easy, if you don't have to pray and, and life is just easy for you, you're doing something wrong. If, if everything just comes natural to you and you're not really on your knees a lot, you're doing something wrong. Why? Because God has a higher calling on the life of his children beyond what sinners do. Now, he's, when, when he says sinners, he, he, he understands we're all sinners. He's talking about people who don't claim to be godly people. We claim to be godly people. We should do more. Look at verse 34. He said, if you lend money only to those who can repay, why should you get credit? Same teaching saying the same thing, using a different angle to try to drive the point home. There is a way to get credit, but it's not by doing the easy stuff. It's by doing the hard stuff, realizing that the only way you will be able to do the hard stuff is if you depend on him to help you. Here's what God wants. God wants his children saying, Lord, I need your help. God wants his children saying, God, I need you to be able to get through this. That makes him feel good. That makes him aware that we know our place. That makes him aware that we know that he's able and we're not. That makes him aware that we are being humble and recognizing his greatness. And when we humble ourselves and recognize God's greatness, he steps up to help us. And this is what we need in life. We need God stepping up to help us deal with crazy people. We need God stepping up to help us deal with mean-hearted, hateful people. We need God stepping up into our situation to help us be able to pray for people who have hurt us. Because this is life on a different level. This is life on a higher level. This is not just the way ungodly people live. This is the way real saints live. This is a portrait of a true disciple. Not just what sent man, any old lost person will lend money to, to get a full return, but Jesus is calling us to a higher way. In verse 35, he says it again. Same thing he said in verse 27. Love your enemies. Same exclamation point that he just gave eight verses ago. Why would he come back probably less than 30 seconds later after saying love your enemies and in the same conversation say it again? Why, why would he say it twice in the same conversation? Because it's important. When you hear a boss say, make sure you're on time tomorrow because we've got a big inspection coming. And, and then two minutes later, he said, don't forget to be on time tomorrow. You better be <laughs> trying to tell you something. Get that. Make sure when somebody's repeating themselves in the same conversation, you know that it's important to them. And if you love them and want to please them, it needs to be important to you. Love your enemies. He's repeating it. It's important to him, and he knows it's difficult. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then, okay, I'm rushing, but we've already seen these, this first half of the sentence. He's recapping what he's told us already to do, and in the middle of this verse, he says then. In Scripture, when does then happen? After. It always happens after. Then happens after. After what? After you do all that stuff that he said to do. Listen, you can't get to then without doing the other stuff. Then comes after. It comes after you did that other stuff. And here's the problem. We all want what we want now. 
We want blessing now. We want favor now. We want deliverance now. We, we want easy street now. We want God to step up and show out now. But that's not how God works. God is a then God. God's going to do his stuff after we do what he has told us to do. I hear people all the time saying, Pastor, I'm waiting on God to give me my blessing. Well, if you're not planting seeds that God can bless, you're just not going to get blessed out of thin air. You got to put good seed in the ground. You you got you got to honor God. You got to obey God. God said, "I give you a choice. You can obey me or you can disobey me. And if you obey me, I will bless you." So he says to do all this stuff and then. I love the word then in the Bible. I look for the word then in the Bible because I know if I do the stuff that comes before then, if I do my part, God always does his part. If I will love my enemies, if I will do good to them, how can I do all that? By praying for them. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. See, he kept telling them, you don't get no credit for that. You don't get no credit for that. You don't get credit for that. Anybody can do that. That's not difficult. Listen, here's a new teaching for you. You should already know this, but I've never heard anybody say this out loud. God is only giving you credit for hard stuff. The easy stuff anybody can do. Do you want credit in heaven? You want God to bless you? You got to do the hard stuff. This is how you get credit, by doing the hard stuff, by doing the stuff that it takes supernatural help to do. Then, when, after you've done all the things that don't come natural, after you've asked God to help you to be able to do all these things, then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Jesus tells us about the Father. The Father is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He was kind to us. He chose us before we chose him. He said that you love me because I loved you first. If you're saved at all, it's because he showed you his love while you were sinning. The Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. So Jesus said this is what the Father looks like. He's, un- he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He is everything that I just told you you should be. He treats others better than what natural mind would say to treat other people. And Jesus is saying, if you do these things, then you truly be acting like children of the Most High. He says this, you want to look like God? You got to do what God does. You want to look like your Heavenly Father? Here's the thing. You really want to make somebody feel good if they have a cute child? Now, if the child, you know, hard to look at, don't say this because they might get upset. But if somebody's got a real good-looking kid and... Let's, let's say it's, it's a boy because I got all boys, and, and you want to make the dad feel good? Say, man, that's a good-looking kid. Look just like his daddy. Dad swells up. Little, little girl, sweet, cute little girl, you, you really want to see mom get happy? You say, that, that's just a precious little angel. She's so beautiful. She looks just like her mama. And that makes the parent feel good. Why? Because they want their children to look like them. They want their kids to look like them. They, they want to see themselves in their children. What am I saying to us tonight? God wants us to look like him. God wants the world to be able to see him in us. I, I hear people make, make statements like, you know, they're talking to a parent about a child. If their kid looks like them, they'll say stuff like, well, you can't deny that one. They look too much like you for you. To... God wants us to look so much like him that people will say, well, you must be a Christian. That gives God honor when we can be kind to the unthankful and kind to the wicked. This isn't easy to do, but if you will lean on God, 
then not only can you do it, but you're going to have a great reward for doing it, and you're going to be honoring God when you look like it. Verse 36 says, you must be compassionate, comma. You must be compassionate. This is not optional for a Christian. If you do not love the poor, if you do not love the hurting, if you do not love the disenfranchised, if your whole theory is get a job, listen, I understand. I don't like seeing all of my tax dollars go to help people who, who could do better but won't. But the heart of Christianity is giving. The heart of Christianity is helping. The heart of Christianity is compassion. It's not this hard line, I made my way, they need to make their way. There's, there's no love in that. We need to be compassionate. Why? Because God is compassionate. And if we're his children, we need to look like him. You need to measure yourself on some of these scales. Are you compassionate? I hope so. Could we be more compassionate? I believe we could. And it honors God for us to be more compassionate. This is a command, not an option. Last verse, verse 37, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. This is the same God. Now, see, here's... And Matthew 7, Jesus starts off in Matthew 7 and says what every lost person knows. One half a verse every lost person in the world knows. Judge not, lest you be judged. Well, what's funny is they don't read the verses following that, which tells the Christian that you shouldn't go around judging someone else why you have a problem in yourself. Don't go around judging somebody who's got a speck in their eye if you've got a log in your eye. But then he said, take the log out of your eye, and then go help your brother get the speck out of his eye. So there is judging involved, but it's not unjust judging. There is judging involved, but it's not criticism without help judging. He says don't judge people like that because you don't want to be judged like that. Don't condemn others or it will all come back against you. Listen, calling right, right, and wrong, wrong is not judging somebody. A judge passes a sentence on somebody. Now, if you go around passing sentences on people, if, if somebody does you wrong and, and, and you, you just make a, a judgment in your mind that says that person's a scumbag who deserves to die and go to hell, that's the judgment that we're not supposed to make. If somebody does something wrong and you say it's wrong, you're not, don't judge me. Your kid comes in the house blind drunk at 4 o'clock in the morning and you say, you shouldn't be out there drinking. Don't judge me. Well, if it's your kid, I got some advice what to do to them. But that's not judging them. That is just calling wrong, wrong. If somebody, if, if somebody cusses you out and you say, you shouldn't talk to me that way, don't judge me. Now, that's not judging somebody. That, that's just calling right, right, and wrong, wrong. But don't condemn them. Don't pass a sentence on them because that's going to come back on you. What's going to come back on you? The way you treat other people. He said, forgive others, and you will be forgiven. All throughout the Scripture, we've got this teaching of reciprocity, sowing and reaping. Unsaved people call it karma, which is slightly different. But if you put good out, good's going to come back to you. If you're loving toward others, love's going to come back to you. If you're forgiving, forgiveness is going to come back to you. Jack Hayford, a great preacher out of California, wrote a book, titled, The Key to Everything is Giving. If you want more money, give money away. It'll come back to you. You want more friendship? Give friendship away. It'll come back to you. You, you want more peace? Give peace away. It'll come back to you. You want more education? Give knowledge away. It'll come back to you. This is the teaching of our Lord. 
the way you treat other people is going to have a direct bearing on the way life treats you. So how are you treating other people? Because God loves people. We have no right to be mad at people. They're not ours. They're God's. We have no right to hold grudges and expect perfection out of others when we're not perfect ourselves. The greatest deliverance that I ever got in the area of letting go of hate, bitterness, and resentment was the revelation God gave me when I apologized and when I had a face-to-face meeting with a stepfather who abused me for years. And I told him, I asked him to forgive me for hating him, asked him to forgive me for the way I have desired to do him harm. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I told him, I have realized, because God has shown me, that if God can forgive me for all the wrong things that I've done and what my sin put his son Jesus Christ through on the cross, I can forgive you for everything you've done to me. You need to realize that you're a sinner too. You need to realize you've done wrong too. Stop holding people hostage to your hate. Stop holding people hostage to your bitterness. Stop holding people hostage to your condemnation. Because you don't want God to do that to you. And the way you treat other people is going to be the way that life treats you. So let's be compassionate. Why? Because God's compassionate. Let's be nice to people who don't deserve it. Why? Because God's nice to us and we don't deserve it. Let's be loving to people who are unlovable. Why? Because there's so many times in so many different ways where any of us and all of us could find ourselves in that situation. God loves everybody. If we're going to claim to be his followers, we have to do that too. I want reward. I want credit. I want God's blessing on my life. To get that, we got to do what he said. He said a bunch of stuff in these few verses. We need to get busy about doing it. Because Jesus said, then you're going to get credit from heaven. Then we got to do our part first. Let's stop waiting on God to do more. God's already done enough. He sent his son to die for us on the cross. He put his spirit on the inside of us. He gave us this book that will always tell us the truth. Let's get busy about doing our part. Let's go out and love the world the way we should. Let's go out and be nice to people the way we should. Let's love unthankful people. Let's do good to mean-hearted people. Let's pray for people who position themselves against us and watch God change the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the example of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we choose to call ourselves Christians, and we thank you for allowing us to do so. Help us to live lives that would honor that title. Help us to live lives that would prove that it's not just lip service, but it is truly what we believe. Help us, Lord, to treat other people the way we want to be treated. Thank you, God, for treating us better than we deserve. Help us to treat others better than they deserve as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.